Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. You guys, I don't think I have ever said this about one of my sermons before. And I probably will never say it, I know I won't ever say it again, because today you are going to hear the best sermon you have ever heard in your entire life. I mean, I'm not not trying to brag, it's just true. In fact, I know, I look out at you, I know there's some of you who, like me, you've been going to church your whole life, you've heard a lot of sermons. This one's going to be better. Just telling you. And in fact, I'm so confident in how good this this sermon is that no matter how much longer you do go to church for the rest of your life, you're just not going to hear a sermon better than the one we have today. That is our money-back guarantee. It's happening. So even, it's so good, that's why we wanted to give you these cards, you know, to think through as you listen, what, what stands out to me? What do I hear? What what might God be saying to me through this sermon? Because it's just that good. And here it is. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God on the outside world. You're blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. That persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when it happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt. Seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you've lost your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll just end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. 
You're here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a, a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you to be light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on the hilltop, on the light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Don't suppose for one minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, pull it all together into a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the, the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. And unless you do far better than the, than the Pharisees in matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. You're familiar with the command of the ancients, do not murder. But I'm telling you, anyone who is so much angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call bro your brother idiot. And you might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately, go to the friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move, make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. And if that happens, you're not going to get out without a stiff fine. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another's spouse. But don't think that you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those ogling looks that you think nobody else notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. 
You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped into a moral trash pile. Or you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being for good in the dump. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Remember that one? Well, too many of you are uh, using that as a cover for your own selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our tradition. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If somebody strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, well, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your, your God-created selves. That's what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Even the 
run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and gracious toward others the way God lives toward you. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you will not be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I'll call them, treating prayer meetings and street corners alike as a stage, acting compassionate, as long as somebody else is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production either. All these people making regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God has like a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and, and programs and advice, peddling techniques to get what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he, he knows you better than, than you know yourself. He knows what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you as we are forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You are ablaze with beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there's a, a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If, you're, if you refuse to do your part, you're just cutting yourself off from God's part. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. So if you go in, into training 
inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths or corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. See, the place where you, your treasure is, that, that's the place you most want to be. And that's the place you end up being. Your eyes, your eyes are, are windows to your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration for one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship both God and money. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food on the table or to the clothes in your closet, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds. They're free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much of a difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. So if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is just get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things, but you know both God and the way he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. 
Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a little smudge on your neighbor's face but be completely oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own face. Do you have the nerve to say, oh, oh, oh let, let, me, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off of your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Don't be flip with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Don't Bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If, you're, if your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? Or if your child asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake instead? No. As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that the God who conceived you in love will do even better? Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up all of God's law and prophets and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts for God. The market is flooded with sure-fire, easy-going formulas for successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous. It requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off in some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. Those diseased trees with their bad apples, they're going to be chopped down and burnt. Knowing the correct password, saying, oh, Master, Master, for instance, it isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What's required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everybody talking. You know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves look important. You don't impress me one bit. 
You're out of here. These words I speak to you, they are not incidental additions to your life, little homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down. The river flooded, tornadoes hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, but don't work them into your life, or you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite everybody to stand with me for a time of prayer. As we transition to coming to the Lord's table together. And as I've invited before something, and the choir is going to get set, but as we pray, if you are comfortable as a way of demonstrating and living out our openness to the Spirit of God in our midst, I would invite you as we pray to silence your phones and (laughs) to raise your hands. It could be just right at your hip level, or it could be up higher to just however comfortable you are, but to palms up before God to say, God, I'm open. God, I'm listening. God, I receive what you want to say to me. You'll call back later. Lord, we thank you for these eternal words of Jesus Christ that we get to dwell in in this coming season. The greatest sermon that has ever been preached, spoken by God incarnate. These are the words you wanted us to hear. These are the words you wanted us to live. But the reality is we cannot do it on our own. And you never expected us to. You expected these words to draw us to further and further dependence on you. And that is what we remember and celebrate and hold fast to when we come to your table, that you have done everything that is necessary. As we seek to follow these difficult and challenging and yet very life-giving teachings, empower us by your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your grace and let us live it out in love. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.